week 43. I know I said it last week, but this week it's really week 43. And I waited up to do this podcast to get you some commentary on the results of Iowa, which aren't coming in. And um, if you thought in last week's or the last couple of weeks podcasts, I was down on Iowa, you have no idea how down on Iowa I am tonight. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. I mean... If you're going to be this non-diverse state that has an awkward way of voting, the least you can do is make sure your systems are working on election day. And DNC, you're not blameless in this either. I, I mean, if you are going to allow Iowa to have an outsized influence in who your party picks, for its nominee for one of the most important elections in the history of this country. I mean, since 1860, right? Don't you think you might want to check to make sure that the apps and the other systems that they're using to back up that app are working prior to caucus night? I mean, here it is. It's 11.30 p.m. on Monday when I'm recording this for my Tuesday podcast. And there are no results. And the candidates now have started making their speeches. Some of them have already made their speeches as I speak to you. And they won't have results probably till tomorrow morning or maybe even the next day. This is a flaming train wreck. And I think this should be the last time we have this backward system at the front of our process to selecting a candidate. I am outraged by it. I don't even know what else to say in regards to this. I just think that we are at a point in our system in this country where we have ways of voting that are proven, that are tested, that are backed up like paper ballots, etc. that people could do at their leisure. They don't have to show up and stay there for a couple of hours at a given time. People who work during that time can't come anyway. They are not represented. This is ridiculous. Now, look, I don't know what these results are going to be. But I know that a lot of people spent a lot of their effort the last couple years, whether you were a Bernie supporter, a Buttigieg supporter, a Biden, a Warren, a Klobuchar, a Wang, people were out there working hard so that their candidate could get the lift that these caucuses provide. 
And now they will not see that lift. Or that lift will be greatly diminished. It is a flaming, flaming train wreck, America. And it is something that if you're with me, you should talk to everyone you know in the DNC establishment and make sure that this never happens again. I I don't understand how these systems were so untested. I Look, I know they meant well. They wanted to give more transparency to these caucuses. So they wanted to show who people voted for um, when they first came in the door, upon the first alignment, and then the final delegate count. Um, okay, great. They put together an app, which should make it easier. A lot of the people who uh, are at the caucus uh, were unfamiliar with how to use these apps, and, and we, they were showing it on on some of these uh, some of these uh, stations that we were watching on MSNBC and CNN. They were showing the caucuses trying to enter those things into the apps, and and I don't blame them. They're volunteers. You know the difference between the Iowa caucus. And the New Hampshire primary is that the people who are responsible for getting the vote tallies in are trained and they are paid to be there. Now, I don't know what kind of training happened in Iowa. I don't know if they did a dry run and maybe tried to use, I don't know, 2016 data to try to see if it could report properly, but they clearly didn't. I'm being told that this is not a hack. There is no situation where Iowa feels that the results are compromised in any way. The problem is, is that they depended on an app that nobody knew how to use and they didn't have enough people backing it up on the phone. So here we are, we have no results and it's late. Now, yeah, am I a little mad? Yeah, I planned to have this podcast ready to roll Tuesday morning like every other week and I'm on the road. So if it sounds a little different to you tonight, I am on the road and uh, it is a, it, it might sound a little different. I brought my equipment with me. And yeah, I was excited because we have been getting great numbers in this podcast and I wanted to give you a great analysis of what happened in Iowa, which I cannot do tonight because Iowa sucks. And if it's the caucus again in four years, we've got a real problem here, a real, real problem. And this is not, look, the Democrats have nobody to blame for this, but themselves, the Iowa Democrats, the DNC, This is not a state-run election. This is a party-run caucus. And enough. I've had it. I don't want to see it again. I don't ever want to see this again. I will be a, a staunch advocate for it. There are plenty of other states with more diversity and better Wi-Fi. And we should pick one of those and we should have our first primary, not caucus, there. Not in Iowa and not in New Hampshire. Let's, I, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, I know Delaware's uh, more diverse, but probably not as diverse as the whole nation. Let's pick a state that's small enough where you got to have some retail politics and diverse like the rest of America. And let's hold our first primary there. That's what we need to do here. You know, they say there, you know, I've been doing interviews all day about what these results will mean. What will they mean? What will they say? They're all getting lost now. The State of the Union is Tuesday night. The president's impeachment vote is Wednesday. And then New Hampshire is a week from tomorrow, a week from today, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. So, yeah, I don't know why people wasted a year of their life in Iowa. And I'm not just talking about the candidates. I'm talking about the people, their supporters, 
who, you know, went out there because they believed in the candidate they were supporting and they were out there and they were working. And that goes for everybody who supported any candidate out there. You know, I've been getting a lot of pushback on some of the things I've said the last couple of days. I'm not endorsing any candidate. I, I called Bernie Sanders um, a disruptor uh, the last couple of weeks. And, and by the way, if you listen to this podcast, it was because Basil Smeichel, uh, former executive director of the New York State Democratic Party, said, you know, Donald Trump was a disruptor. Republicans picked a disruptor in 2016 and it worked for them. And maybe the Democrats should pick a disruptor this time. And who was the disruptor in the party, I asked him? He said, Bernie Sanders. And frankly, um, Bernie Sanders will upend the system if he's elected president. He calls himself a socialist. I don't know how could be that, how, what could be more disruptive than that other than Donald Trump who doesn't believe in our system of government. So yeah, uh, I don't pick, I don't pick candidates until I'm not picking a candidate, uh, a preference candidate until after the primary, because I think after the primary, we all need to come together and unite in an effort to defeat Donald Trump, period, end of sentence. And I've heard all of the candidates say that, and most of their supporters say that, but not all of them. And that's got to change immediately. So I don't know what to say about Iowa. I know that Iowa uh, is a flaming train wreck. And uh, I know that the candidates work really hard. And sometime later this week, maybe later today, we'll find out who won Iowa. But until then, who knows? I'm looking at the exit data. Okay, I'll give you a prediction. And this prediction in no way is an endorsement of a candidate. But I'm looking at the exit data. And my reading of the exit data is that Pete Buttigieg did better than I expected him to do. Um, He seems to be winning with women and in second place with men and women if the exit data is correct. And that's actually entrance data for for a caucus. If the entrance data is correct... 56% 56% of the uh, of the caucusers were women and uh, and only 44% were men. So he's winning pretty handily with women and he's right there with men. So uh, I, I would not be surprised if Pete won Iowa and that would have been a huge benefit to him, but he won't get to see that. Bernie Sanders may have won Iowa, would have been a huge benefit to him. We don't, he won't get to see that. So this confusion, this chaos, who does it benefit? I, I mean, I guess people who would have came in less than third, because I've, I've always said, and I think it's been said not just by me, but by everyone, that there are three tickets out of Iowa. Well, now I guess you could say there's four or five tickets out of Iowa. I don't see anybody having to quit now because we don't even know who won. And by the time we know who won, everybody's moved on already anyway. It benefits Mike Bloomberg, quite frankly, because there's more chaos, less of a clear favorite after the first four. And frankly, it's the first three now. That helps Biden because Biden's looking good in South Carolina, looking good in Nevada. He didn't lose tonight. So, you know, everybody who was trying to knock Biden off because Biden's whole argument is he's the guy who could beat Trump. And if you look at these exit polls, he's the guy that even Iowans thought was most likely to beat Trump, but not by much. But he could still go around this country saying, I'm the guy who beat Trump and he didn't lose in Iowa yet. So a lot riding on you, New Hampshire and South Carolina and a little less so Nevada. Because Iowa's a train wreck and it is time for that caucus to be a thing of the past. I, you know, I, I, I am not mincing my words on it. 
I got a great guest for you in a little bit. Um, Jill Weinbanks uh, was on the radio show last week talking impeachment. Jill Weinbanks, you know her. She's an MSNBC contributor, and she is a uh, a former special prosecutor during Watergate. She's been on the show before. She's fantastic. I love having her. And, you know, today's show is brought to you by Grasshopper. In business, any business, your communications partner is critical to succeeding and growing. That's why you need to look at Grasshopper. Sound more professional and stay connected with Grasshopper, the virtual phone system designed for entrepreneurs. Grasshopper works just like a traditional phone system, but requires no hardware to purchase or software to install. All of it's managed by your phone. Callers can reach you wherever you are, on your cell phone, in your office, at home. Get a toll-free local number for your business with multiple extensions. Set up each extension with a custom call forward to, to any phone in the world. Send or receive SMS or text messages from your business number. You know, maybe Iowa should have downloaded Grasshopper. Crazy. Get voicemails emailed to you as audio attachments. There's an app for iOS and Android. Lets you make your, your, and that app lets you make calls from your business number anywhere on the planet. Plans start at just $12 a month with a 30-day money-back guarantee. To save $50 on your order, go to trygrasshopper.com slash Han. Yes, save $50 on your order at trygrasshopper.com slash Han. Now, I guess that's the first angry read I've done. So uh, save that clip. I'll send it to my mom. Uh, I mean, it's an angry read. I mean, I I got nothing against people, the fine people at Grasshopper. I'm sure their apps work. And maybe the Iowa caucuses, the Iowa Democratic Party and the DNC, whoever runs the technology office at the DNC, maybe they should have hired Grasshopper or somebody who knows something about technology to make sure that the app that they're using to tally the votes in this all-important first-in-the-nation caucus worked. It's insane. Or, you know, maybe do a dry run. I don't know, do a dry run on a Saturday. Get a couple people, you know, it would have would have saved a lot of hassle. Would have saved a whole lot of hassle. All right. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to bring in Jill Weinbanks, and then I'm going to come back to wrap it up. And maybe by then we'll have some results in Iowa, but I'm not counting on it. That's why I started this now. Stay where you are. I'll be right back. Hey, America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. Joining me right now, Jill Weinbanks. You watch her on MSNBC, and if you're not watching her on MSNBC or following her on Twitter, you better do it right now because nobody knows more about impeachment than Jill Weinbanks. She was a former special counsel during the Watergate impeachment hearing. She's got a new book out right now. Is it out now or is it coming out soon? February 25th is the 
release date. February twenty fifth. So, calendar. It's called Watergate Girl. I'm going to be buying it because you've done you've done my show now three times, and I feel like I'm not going to ask your publisher to, to send me a free copy. I'm going to uh, just go online okay. and I'm going to go to Amazon tonight and I'm going to pre order it because that's how much I love you, Jill. Thank you, want, thank you, thank you. Just, I hope you will love the book. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to love the book, and because I love watching you talk about impeachment because you were so knowledgeable because you've lived it, and it's it's very important I think to America that people like you who and and Zoloffrin for that matter who have lived through impeachments and watched the corruption of our government talk so you know you've been watching this as close as anyone I'm sure and I'd really like just to open up for your impressions my impressions are that this is unlike any prior impeachment or trial Um, and to call it a trial even though that's what the Constitution says the Senate does confuses people because it is not a trial as anybody who watches any television procedural show would think, or anybody who's ever been a juror would think. Um, the Senate sets its rules, and it can call witnesses or not, and it can call irrelevant witnesses and ignore the relevant ones. Right. And that's where we are right now. Um, they are in the process now of having had opening statements which were made without anyone knowing whether there would actually be witnesses, including some that hadn't testified in the House. Yep. And, and I want to point out, everybody says, well, gee, if they didn't do it there, then why should they be allowed? That's because in preparing for a trial, prosecutors always keep looking for more evidence. Yep. May have enough to return an indictment, enough probable cause to believe a crime was committed, that you will go to a trial. But then you try to get more evidence. And the smoking gun tape in the Watergate case, the tape in which the president is heard saying, use the CIA to stop the FBI from following the money, the one that got the Republicans to say, Mr. Nixon, you have to go. You will be convicted if you do not resign. That tape was in response to, we obtained it in response to a trial subpoena. Yeah. This is long after, well, not long after, we returned the indictment in March. In April, we subpoenaed this. In July, the Supreme Court ruled that we had a right to have it, and we got it, and he resigned. Wow. So I just want people to know that it's quite common for evidence to come out in trial preparation that wasn't part of the indictment. So I'm watching the question and answer period that's been going on for you know a little while now, and it seems to me that Murkowski is a vote for witnesses, Maybe Romney, maybe Collins. But do you think that there's a a fourth vote for witnesses from what you've seen so far? Um, I don't have any particular insight into that, except let's look at, first of all, the first question that was asked in this round, which is eight hours over two days, so 16 hours total, eight hours for each of two days, um, of questions by both the Republicans and the Democrats of either the House managers or the legal defense team for the president. And the first question was uh, Collins, Senator Collins, on behalf of Murkowski and Romney, asking about um, something that leads me to think that they are certainly considering witnesses. Right. Um, Now, who else in that category? I mean, you've heard all the names of possibilities. And I keep hoping that, like in Watergate, and like in a real world should happen, senators are listening to what is being presented before them, and they can see that 
they will be guilty of a cover-up if they don't allow the testimony. They cannot say, as they are, that there's no direct witness to a conversation with the president when they know there is one who's willing to testify. Right. And that's Bolton. So you can't say we are unsure whether we should in, you know, convict him because we haven't heard a direct witness. And by the way, we're holding our ears. We don't want to hear Yeah, it's like they, it's like, you know, Ezra Klein said something about, you know, how this is all about whether or not the Republicans want to hear the truth. The Republicans have heard the truth. They know yeah. the truth. It's the, the question is whether or not they want to acknowledge the truth, which is right in front of them. It's, it's as plain as the nose on their face. Even the ones that are standing up screaming on behalf of the president know the truth. That's, it's it, true, because there is actually there's a very strong case now. But this case would be irrefutable. It would be so overwhelming if you had Bolton testify. Right. And in addition, we've had other evidence that was obtained after the articles of impeachment were voted. Lev Parnas and his information has very dramatic uh, information in it that is also being ignored. And I am sure that Pompeo, who clearly is losing it in yeah. behavior with the NPR reporter. Um, and I worked in Ukraine, by the way. I could find it on a map. Yeah, um, yeah. And so could anybody who is following. I Trump was an stuff. excellent risk player as a youth, so I know exactly where <laughs> Ukraine is. <laughs> exactly. It's a good one to know. Yes. Um, so it's, and you would never confuse it with Bangladesh, by the way. No. I mean, it's not even in the same continent. No. No, I mean, Europe, uh, India, yeah. Oh, I think they're slightly different. It's crazy. And the shape of India is so unique yep. that you would never confuse it. But anyway, um, so I I think the the House managers have done a wonderful job. They've done a really good job of presenting evidence of why Ukraine matters to us, why the president's behavior endangers us, why the Constitution clearly allows a conviction on articles of impeachment that allege a p- abuse of power. And they show why he has abused his power, and they've rebutted every possible ridiculous concept that they've said, with Dershowitz saying, no, you have to have a crime, and right. abuse is too vague. And, I mean, it, it's it's so clear if you just change the name from Trump to, for example, Obama, how the Democrats and the Republicans would feel. Yeah, it's amazing. Democrats would have, you know, look, they would have abandoned Obama over this. <laughs> they absolutely would. There's no question because this is so clearly bad. And there are so many examples. I love the examples they gave about, well, what if the president said, I'll do this if you'll build a tower, a Trump tower, and give me a million dollars? By the way, which is something that it appears Bolton alleges. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's why it's such a good example, right? Yeah. I mean, that so, might be another thing to impeach him over. I, I, I've been saying that we should have been looking closely into his ties with Turkey after the order to remove those troops. Yeah. I mean, what's going on there? And now it comes out in this Bolton book that Bolton had the same thought. So Exactly. It's very clear that, uh, well, just the fact that the president admires Erdogan yeah. is astounding to me yeah the fact that he admires putin is astounding to me he even said when he was running for president he has a little bit of a conflict of interest in turkey because he's trying to build trump towers yes. there two exactly. towers exactly. and it's it's a whole thing and ivanka went there with it. it's a whole nonsense all right jill i got yes. jill Weinbanks here 
She is the author of Watergate Girl. It is coming out February 25th. You can pre-order it right now on Amazon. You see on MSNBC, right? All the time. Follow her on Twitter at Jill Weinbakes. And I'm going to spend about 10 more minutes with you if you can hang out for a few. I got to go to a quick, got to pay a few bills here. And then we'll be right back with more from the great Jill Weinbanks. All right, no commercials for you. Here's part two of my interview with Jill Weinbanks. I'm back with Jill Weinbanks, former special counsel, former special prosecutor during the Watergate impeachment of Richard Nixon. And of course, you see her. She's an MSNBC contributor, and she's got a new book coming out called Watergate Girl, which uh, examines your time in, uh, in during that Watergate, Watergate uh, era, I would imagine, correct? It does. It also, I think, looks at what it was like to be the only woman in the room mm. and how, unfortunately, things haven't changed as much as I would have liked them to have. But it, it's basically a combination of all the president's men and hidden figures. Wow. So I, I hope people will get the social context of it. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I am the father of daughters. And I will, uh, I'll read it and then I'm going to give it to my daughter to read. I uh, think, I think they, how old are your daughters? Well, I, I have one in college and I have one that's 13. Well, it's a good warning for both of them about how to prepare to deal with the real world. Yeah. And, um, it's not a how to book. It's not any lessons. It's just sort of how I dealt with some of the hurdles that I had to overcome to get to where I am now or to where I was even then. Well, I mean, I, I think America's lucky that you were there and uh, lucky. Um, I think I feel lucky to know you. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I think that your commentary these last couple of months just is so in depth and you are so precise in the way you break down what's actually going on which is why I wanted to have you on tonight. I know your book comes out next month. And by the way, I'm going to have you back. If you want to plug the book next month, call me. You come on okay, whenever you, come will. on whenever you want. Um, okay. You know, it's, uh, but we're right in the middle of this impeachment. And next month, by the way, better, because I'm going to have, uh, I think I have four more. I have at least four new stations starting next week. <laughs> so Ooh, so uh, by next month, it could be 10 more. So think we're growing like weeds around here at the Chris Hahn Show. Uh, but it's, um, but, um, but let's just, let's just, Look at the similarities to this right now. You you mentioned to me before that when it broke, it broke like a dam in Watergate. Like it was just like it just it went from like one or two Republicans being suspicious of the president to all of them saying he needs to go. And here we're sitting in a situation where I'm dubious whether or not we're going to have witnesses. I think Mitch McConnell is very good at this and he may have lost Murkowski, Collins and Romney, but he might be able to hold everybody else. Um, well, it would be a shame if it lost by one vote. Yeah. And, and let me point out, they, the Republicans, could call anyone they want right now. Yep. If they want it, they have votes to call witnesses. Yep. And so they can call irrelevant witnesses, or they could call the relevant ones. They have enough votes. Yeah. So what's going on? Why are they doing this? And we don't need to do a exchange of, well, I'll let you call irrelevant Hunter Biden. Right. In exchange, I'll call the relevant witness. Um, That's just not necessary. I mean, if they want Hunter Biden, they can probably do it, although I would hope that the same three Republicans would object to having an irrelevant. You would hope. You would hope hope. that they would. Um, But I, I just, this makeup of this Republican Party now, it's just so sad to me. Well, it's a question of gerrymandering, and, you know, 
the campaign finance laws have changed yep. and the media uh, environment has changed. So in the days of Watergate, there were three networks, period. Yeah. And all three had the same facts. Yeah. Which means that all of us were dealing with the same information. It wasn't like Fox this time didn't cover the closing argument of the House managers. Crazy. And for a lot of the testimony during the House managers case, they had someone, they had it in a little box in the corner and a host speaking over it. Yeah. So they didn't really cover it, which means that the people who watch and get their news, or what they call news, from Fox, aren't really getting the facts. By the way, that's why I was a little bit of annoyed by the decision by the DNC not to have a debate on Fox. Why not? Go put it on Fox. Let these guys see it. I mean, I don't care. Let Brett well, Bear. They would watch it, though. Well, some of them would. Some of them would be watching it just to see if, like, Brett Bear stuck it to the libs. You know, it's 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 that kind of look. I I'm a progressive that goes on Fox. It is. It's been my TV platform for the last ten years, and you know, I get it. It, it it's it's. I'm like Andre the Giant fighting against ten people. It, it is what it is. Yeah. But at least I get a couple of shots in there and I decide I hopefully make a few people think. And if, you know, the DNC did two hours on Fox and a few people watched it for a few minutes and changed their mind, the margins of victory for this president are so small that changing one percent of the Fox viewership's mind is a victory, a big victory. Oh, it, it, changing any one of them. Yeah. I've tried to engage with Trump supporters. And what I find is that they draw conclusions that have no factual support. If yeah. you ask for the factual support, they get hostile and they can't give it to you. Right. You can't have a discussion. If you say to me, well, he's done great things for my portfolio. Uh, do you own any? St- I was, this was with a college kid. Do you have any stock? <laughs> right. College kid. <laughs> well, how has it helped you? What has he done to help you? Right. What's your and, student loan interest rate? <laughs> exactly. And right. they can't answer it. Um, they just, aren't educated enough to have the conversation. And I I wish there were someone who you could have the dialogue with, because then you might be able to actually change someone's mind. That would be so valuable. And I admire you for doing what you're doing. Well, it's part of why, you know, the radio show, I mean, my radio show is on, uh, it's on right now on 10 different stations. Five of those stations are primarily conservative stations. And it's, uh, you know, I get a lot of email and, some of it hateful, but a lot of it is like, hey, you know, I want to just follow up on something you said. Can you tell me more about this? I get a lot of those kinds of emails. I get that from Fox viewers as well. And you know, I just think it's I think we need to have conversations in this country. Absolutely. I agree completely um, because I come armed with information, with yes. facts. And experience. I was reading uh, um, at one point I was reading from the July 25th memorandum of the conversation. I don't want to call it a transcript. Right. Not a transcript. And people are confused that it is, but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. And one of the callers to the show called me a liar. <laughs> and I said, you may disagree with my interpretation, but right now I am reading you the words yeah. the president released. Yeah. And not call me a liar. These are the president's words as he submitted them to every, the public. Every time he tweets out, read the transcript, I say, I did, and I want to point your attention to the bottom of page three and right. the top of page four where you extort right. the Ukrainian president. Jill, exactly. I'm out of time with you. This goes too oh quick. Oh I'm so sorry. Oh no, don't be sorry. I love it. I love every minute of it. Jill Weinbakes, check out her book. Pre-order it right now. It's called Watergate Girl. 
And it's coming out February 25th. Watch her on MSNBC. Follow her on Twitter at Jill Wine, at J Winebanks, right? No, at Jill Winebanks is my Twitter. At Jill Winebanks on Twitter. Jill, thanks for joining me. All right, stay right there. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. Yeah, flaming train wreck. That is what Iowa was, a flaming train wreck. I think that is, I don't know what I'm going to name this episode yet. Iowa train wreck. Uh, It is a disaster of epic proportions, one that has probably sealed the faith that Iowa will no longer be the first in the nation caucus. I'm sorry. I almost feel like I should run for DNC. Uh, I don't know how you do that. Uh, I, you know, I don't think you run. I think you're picked somehow. It, it, it is a, it is a insane development. If you ask me, I, I, um, I'm blown away by it and, um, it is what it is. And we'll move on. We'll move on to New Hampshire where they actually vote, where they vote in a primary and there's a secretary of state that's accountable for the results. And, um, and we'll see how this washes out. Uh, I think that there's going to be hell to pay for somebody. And I just feel like, you know, I think what's going to get lost in this, and I've even seen it so far in the coverage that I've watched, there were a lot of people who put a lot of time into this Iowa caucus. And it's for nothing. It's for nothing. Because it's really about this night. It's about the magic of declaring victory on this night. So for that year, year and a half, these campaigns have camped out in Iowa. It It's like it never even happened. Millions of dollars spent millions of hours when you count up all the volunteers from all the campaigns spent on the trail, you know, and even the voters in Iowa who, you know, who listened intently. And, and look, I, you know, when you hear me bashing the Iowa caucuses, I'm not bashing the people of Iowa. I know they take this seriously. I know they value their place in, in picking the nominees. I know this. I've talked to many of them. And I get how they 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 feel, and they take and and the ones who do participate in caucus take it very seriously. But from what we were seeing earlier tonight, the turnout was exactly the same as 2016, with all of these candidates and all of this effort and all of the excitement about coming after Donald Trump. It's still going to be lower than it was in 2008 when uh, Barack Obama won the Iowa caucuses. At least that's what we're hearing now. I mean, who knows? They don't have the data. But uh, that moment's lost now, and it's lost forever. And now we move forward. The president's going to do his State of the Union tomorrow night, and you know he'll, he'll probably be tweeting all day about the rigged system. They took this from Bernie. And let's see which one of the candidates' supporters call it a rigged game when the results are finally announced. They will be announced. And we're being told that this is not a, an era of like malfeasance where somebody's hacked in. It's just a colossal IT failure, and the phone system that they used as a backup completely failed. So this is a colossal mistake, and it is going to, uh, I think, forever change the political landscape when it comes to picking a presidential nominee. This cannot be allowed to occur ever again. And that means this Iowa caucus system, which is not run by a state government, but it is run by volunteers, good-meaning volunteers. 
without the you know scrutiny and the accountability though i think we have an issue so let's see a change let's move forward president's been impeached he's going to be acquitted uh, I could have spent this entire show talking about it. I think, you know, my interview with Jill Weinbank sums it up well. But, I, you know, I said this last week. I don't know why we even have a U.S. Senate if they're just going to act like the House of Representatives with six-year terms. So a lot of things need to change in this country. A lot of things that are less democratic. This Iowa caucus is less democratic. The United States Senate is less democratic. The... Um, the Electoral College is left less democratic. Most Americans agree with what we agree with. Most Americans are center-left, not center-right. Yet the far-right dominates our political landscape because we have accepted less democracy. And we've accepted that for stability, right? I mean, the Senate is supposed to provide stability. But does it provide stability? I don't think so. I think the Senate will move as quickly as the House does. In fact, they're, they're radically changing the courts as we speak. I think it's time for us to rethink a lot of things in this country. And uh, I'm proud to be here talking to you about all of it. So, All right. I think you've heard enough from me from one week. So i uh, got to remind you all, as always, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.